0: All right, Psalm 54 this morning. Just to update you, I don't think it's in the folder. Uh, Last week, the Gideon offering was over $1,300. So, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Return to Psalm 54 this morning. 54 and 52 have a lot in common, and we'll look at that in just a moment to see the the similarities. They both come from the same context, the same context, okay? So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read from God's Word? Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to your Word, that we might have the ability to see it, to grasp it, to digest it, and then to live it out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 54, for the choir director on stringed instruments. Hmm. See? Stringed instruments are godly. The trumpets are godly. It's a mascal of David. When the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding himself among us? So that the introduction there gives us a specific context for this psalm. Save me, O God, by thy name, and vindicate me by thy power. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. There's the selah, that means to rest and and stop and contemplate what we've just heard. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes, destroy them in thy faithfulness. Willingly I will sacrifice to thee. I will give thanks to thy name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from all trouble and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies." This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now from the introduction there, there's a specific context. And the context of Psalm 52, 54 uh, is is under that same umbrella. It's a period in David's life when he is running from Saul. He does that a lot. Remember, he was anointed as king by Samuel and then spent some 17 years hiding from Saul. As Saul said, uh, I've got to kill David. And and the, the, in a sense, the madness came upon Saul. Well, David flees to the city of Nob, N-O-B, Nob, to hide from Saul. Now, Nob is is known uh, primarily because that's where the sword of um, the big guy, Goliath. Uh, sorry, I just blanked on that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the sword of, of Goliath was taken after David uh, d- you know, killed Goliath, chopped his head off with it, and then the sword was taken there. So David is hiding out from Saul, and he goes to Nob, and he's, he's just at, pretty much at his limit. He's, he's out of food. He and his men, they have nothing. Um, and so they go there, and the priest of the city likes David. Now, there are a lot of priests there. We'll see that in a moment. And he really likes David. He knows that David is the next king. So he gives them the sword of Goliath and he feeds David and his men as well. Well, news gets back to Saul, what has happened at Nob. And in fact, Doeg, the Edomite, Edomites come from Esau. Doeg, the Edomite, goes back and tells Saul, because I think... Doeg wants to get in good with Saul. So he's kind of ratting David out here. So he goes back and he tells him what has happened in Nob. And Saul is apoplectic. He says, how could these people help David, my enemy, my sworn enemy? And he turns to his soldiers and he says, I want you to go down there and kill that priest and kill his family as well. Well, all those soldiers go, I'm not going to lift my hand against the priest of the Lord. You've got to be kidding me, king. I'm not going to do it. And they all, no, no, we're not going to do it. Well, Doeg, the Edomite, goes, I'll do it. Okay? He says, yeah, I'll go. So he goes back to Nob, and he not only kills the priest and his family, but he kills all the priests at Nob and all their families. So I think there was right around 70 priests in that city at that time. So he there's this massacre. He kills all the priests. He kills all their families. And there's only one who escapes, and his name is Abiathar. And Abiathar runs out of the city, and he goes and finds David, and he tells David what has happened. Now, this is where the Psalm 52 and Psalm 54, they're kind of overlapping. Psalm 54 is picking up here right around that time, and David is just crushed because he knows that that those, those men and their families would still be alive if he had not stopped in and sought some help from the people at Nob. So if you're, if you're looking at this, uh, this passage, 1 Samuel 23 is the historic background and the, the narrative to this, this portion. So uh, while this is going on, David is now out in the wilderness again, and he hears that the Philistines are attacking a Jewish town called Caleb. Now, this is a Jewish town. This is, these are people from David's tribe. Okay, So these are his kinsmen. And David asked God if he should go and help out the people at Calah. And the Lord says, yes, go and help them. So David and his men show up and they defeat the Philistines. And the Philistines run off uh, beaten like that. So David then hears that word has gotten back to Saul again. Hey, David is now in Calah, and he has just helped them. So David takes what is known as the, uh, it's like a sacred ephod. It's a coat that the priest would wear when they are attempting to discern God's will. Abiathor had taken that out of Nob when he fled the city. And he he checks with the Lord. And he says, okay, Lord, here I am at Calah, and I know Saul is coming to get me. And he asks the Lord, will the people of Calah whom I have just saved from the Philistines, will they protect me? And the Lord sends him a message and says, no, they will not protect you. They will turn you over to Saul. So David slips out of the city uh, before Saul can get there. And, And while Saul is on his way there, the Philistines attack. So Saul has to turn, in a sense, providentially away from the city and not destroy that city and fight the Philistines. So Psalm 54 deals with this, um, this, this issue of the Ziphites who are at, the, at, at Calah, the city of Kayla, And he goes out in the de- desert and, and it deals with this time where David has been betrayed by those whom he has saved. Betrayed and chased by Saul who wants to kill him. And it seems like he has nobody else around him. And of course there is nobody else except the Lord and really often we find that it is only when the Lord is all that we have, we find out the Lord is really all that we need. So this was a particularly bad period in David's life when he had nowhere to turn, people had turned against him, Uh, so David calls upon the Lord for help. So this psalm in its context, and in its context for us, is a psalm for anyone who feels like they've been abandoned, anyone who feels like they have been betrayed, maybe by their spouse or their children or their parents or close friends or maybe uh, their name has been uh, sullied in in the public square or or something like that. I remember uh, a time in in, uh, my life when uh, I was called all kinds of names uh, by people I thought were my friends and people who I thought cared about me, but mm, they didn't. But people may abandon us. The ones that we think are close to us may abandon us, but the Lord will never abandon us. Once we are in his hand, we are there for all eternity. So David turns to the Lord in Psalm 54 and he cries out to him, verse 1, Save me, O God, by thy name. Vindicate me by thy power. So whenever David had a problem, he took it to the Lord. Now, this is not uncommon for David. This is what he does. He has learned that this is the proper thing to do, that the Lord is faithful in all things. I mean, look at verse 7. Go to the end of the psalms. So often this happens in the psalms. that We start out with this cry for help or, Lord, what, you know, you know, these people are trying to kill me. They're destroying me. And at the end of the psalm, we get, for he has delivered me from all trouble. My eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. So we don't know how long this psalm takes to write or the, the, the total time period here. But this verse at the end tells us David has found refuge in the Lord. The Lord has delivered him once again. So when David has a problem, he takes it to the Lord. Remember the words of Joseph Scriven. Now most of you are going, who? But when I give you the words, you're going to know them right off. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what David does. Not only does he pray, but he prays to the Lord. Now, You might think, well, where else was he going to pray, Rand? Well, you'd be surprised at the places people in our world today pray, or to the things, or to the deities that they think have power that they can turn to. Not everybody is on the same page as far as today's world. There are a lot of prayers going out on a regular basis to inanimate objects. I mean, uh, Isaiah talks about... You know, I love this this thing. He he talks about the man in the wilderness, and he goes and he chops down a tree, and with half the tree he makes a fire and he cooks his dinner, and with that, the other half of the tree he carves a face on it and makes a god and he prays to it. What foolishness! What foolishness! But there are plenty of people out there today who are doing the same thing. They've made their god some inanimate object, whether it is stuff, or maybe they make their god some other person in their life. Uh, or some other thing. But there are plenty of people out in the world praying to uh, their gods like um, Ganesha or Shiva or Allah or Buddha or Satan or or any variety of things. Or even to themselves. Because they're praying to a God that looks a lot like they do. In fact, they trust only in themselves. So you're not going to get very far. You're not going to find comfort Praying to a list of gods like that. So David prays to the Lord. He knows where to go. He's been there before. This is not new ground for him. He trusts in the Lord. And he prays to the one true God. Now the question is, what does he pray? And and there are a lot of things in this psalm that we could look at and deal with. But I think this is, for, for today, this is probably the most pressing for us. David prays. To the Lord for the things that God has already promised him. David prays to the Lord the things that God has already promised him. You think, well, if God's already promised them to him, why is he bringing it up again? Well, remember, David's life is threatened here, but at the same time, God has already made promises to him I'm gonna make you king, you're gonna sit on the throne. Okay, You are going to have your throne. This is a throne for all eternity. The descendants of David will be on this throne. So he's made promises to David and that he's, he's going to protect him and watch over him. But David doesn't have a friend in the world right now. Everybody wants to kill him. Even the people that he has just recently saved have turned against him. So even in light of these dire circumstances, David is pleading for God's help in accordance with the promises that God has made to him, what what better things can we pray than back to God than his own words to us? The context of the psalm again David's in mortal danger. Saul's trying to kill him uh, and, and, and and so you know not only the people um, abandon David but they turn against him and basically they give him a they give Saul a road map telling him where David is so that they can go get him they even tell him what hill he is on in first Samuel 23 the Ziphites do now David wouldn't have been surprised about Doeg the Edomite turning him in and doing terrible things but but the people at Calah they were his own tribe his own people the ones he had liberated from the hands of the Philistines so this is David's prayer, verse, verse 1 again in 54. Save me, O God, by thy name. Vindicate me by thy power. So he wants rescue and he wants vindication. This is what he's praying for, rescue and vindication. Rescue because he's in danger from Saul. And, and remember, Saul has, has to take his army and, and and go off and chase the Philistines. So in a sense, David is providentially protected there. Um, and, and God's... And, whether David understood that or not, you know, sometimes God has to do stuff to protect his people for his own people's good, and we don't always understand what the Lord is doing because he defines what is good for us, and he will provide that for us. So David not only prays for rescue, which, which he gets here, but he prays for vindication because he doesn't deserve to be treated this way. He is, he is innocent. And we've seen David plead his ignorance before. Uh, I mean, uh, last week, Psalm 7, he just said, Lord, if there's guilt in me, you know, beat the stuffing out of me. Or that's not quite the translation, but that's Randy's translation. Um, but he wasn't guilty. He wasn't guilty at all. He's been anointed by God. He's determined not to snatch that kingship out of Saul's hand. Remember, he's had the chance to kill Saul. And he has passed it up. He's waiting for the Lord to make him king. He says, I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. And we, we know, we've read the later portion, he is made king and Saul is killed. So he's being accused of, by Saul of being a traitor. So he not only wants rescue, he wants vindication here. And what is this based upon? Look at, again, verse 1, the second part of that. Vindicate me by thy power. Save me by thy name. Now, he wants vindication by the name of God. What does this mean, the name of God? Well, for the Old Testament saints, the name of God really summed up his personality and his character Remember, Jacob is, is wrestling there and he, he wants the name. He says, Give me your name by the brook of Jabbok. And, and the Lord gives him a new name from Jacob to, to Israel. Moses asked for the name of God at the burning bush. And the Lord said, He says, Who do I tell us sent, sent me? He says, I am. I am sent me. John 18. There's Jesus. This is the rest of Jesus. There's a cohort of Roman soldiers that come to arrest Jesus, a cohort of. 600 or so i mean that's a lot of soldiers and they come to arrest jesus and they ask him are you the one we're after and he says he gives him the name he says i am and what happens to the roman soldiers all 600 they all fall down at the name of jesus at the name of jesus well that is the name that david is pleading to here He says, this is is not a strange plea. This is something David has done before. Vindicate me, save me according to your name, your character, your righteousness, your holy ability. All those things are wrapped up in the name of the Lord. He says, hear my prayer. Give ear to the word of my mouth. Uh, You know, sounds kind of strange there. But what that is, is that's, that's a Hebrew way of saying urgency. Okay, this is urgent, Lord. Give ear to the word of my mouth. Listen to what I have to say. Uh, what, what's the, um, the guy? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm really... Uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ear. Julius Caesar, thank you. I'm glad somebody knows this stuff. Okay, lend me your ear. This is really important. Listen to me, and that's what David is saying. Heavenly Father... Give ear to the words of my mouth. This is very, very important. I'm getting ready to say something. Very important. So David is totally dependent upon what the Lord gives him. And Though he's anointed to be the king, and he's the rightful king of Israel, everything that David has comes from the hand of the Lord. It all comes from his care in his life, and he is utterly dependent upon the Lord to provide it when? in the Lord's time. That's exactly where we are. We may not realize that's where we are all the time, but we are all in a position of dependence upon the Lord, no matter what is going on in our life. William Plummer was a, a great Southern preacher, Presbyterian preacher years ago, and in his commentary he writes this, "'Whatever makes us feel our entire dependence upon God is good for us. Just think about that for a minute. Whatever makes us feel our entire dependence upon God is good for us. Now it might be able to, easy to say that. But think about its application in our life. You mean my child who has strayed from, from what I've taught them and know them to be true drives me to my knees on a regular basis, that's good for me? Yes, it is. You mean these, these challenges at work that are driving me crazy and that drives me to my knees to seek the Lord. Is that good for me? Yes, it is. It is good. I just get diagnosed with cancer, Lord. Is that good for me? If it drives me to the Lord and my entire dependence is upon him, it is good for me. It is good for me. Whatever makes us feel our entire dependence upon God is good for us because we always need to be dependent upon the Lord. And so often we get so wrapped up in ourselves and go, well, I'm doing pretty well right now. Heaven forbid you should ever say that. Where you're relying upon yourself, that's a great opportunity for the Lord to remind us. Sometimes we have to wake up and realize it. Sometimes it is unfortunate circumstances that come into our lives or hard things that drive us to that point of understanding that the Lord is what we need. David says, Strangers have risen against me. Violent men have sought my life, Lord. I have no place else to go except to you. Except to you. And they're seeking to kill me. So David is right here pleading the promises that God has already made to him. I'm going to make you king. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put you in, on the throne in Jerusalem, and there is going to be a descendant of yours on the throne for all eternity. He says David, you're my man, but David's in a tight spot, and he's just not quite sure that the Lord is paying attention. So he pleads the promises of the Lord back to the Lord. And it's not a contradiction that we need in a sense to to say I, I think one of the great two of the great words. In prayer, that we can go to the Lord and say, You promised. Lord, you promised this to your people. You promised this to me. Save me. Vindicate me. You promised this. Now, think about this in our, in, in, in our world. Your little child comes up to you and says, Dad, Dad, you promised to take me to. Fill in the blank. You ever hear that from your kids dance? Oh, yeah. And you say what? Well, when the time is right. So we can plead to the Lord and say, you promised me, Lord. But the Lord is going to tell us when the time is right. Because the Lord's time is hardly ever Randy's time. And because Randy wants it went Right now. Okay. I am being attacked. I want, I want vindication. I want salvation, Lord. He says, and you promised me this. And he says, in my time. You're going to get it. You are going to get it. Jacob is promised by the Lord, Genesis 31, I will be with you. I will be with you. And he has to remind him of that later. And Jacob reminds the Lord, says, Lord, you promised. You said this to me, Lord. Where are you now? 2 Corinthians, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The Lord has made these promises. We should act like it. We should talk to him like he has promised these things. You go, okay, Rand, what, what is he promised? I have 35 here. That's just a sampling. Just a sampling from his word. He has promised that he will help us with prayer. He has promised he will answer prayer. He has promised us forgiveness. He has promised God's love for his own people. He has promised, made promises to the church. He has made promises to those who shepherd his church. He has made promises to those who teach his word. He has made promises to send revival to his church. He has made promises to send his Holy Spirit to the church. He has promised that he will be with us, that he will draw near to us. That he will manifest his favor on us. He has made promises to those who are struggling. He has made promises to give his people strength. To make a light within the darkness. For those who are anxious and afraid. He has made promises to sustain them and calm them. For those who need provision. He has made promises to provide for them. He has made promises concerning the power of the cross over Satan to save our children and future generations, to those who have special needs, to those who seek God, to those who fear God, to the humble, to the generous, to the obedient. The list goes on and on and on. He has made these promises. Pray them back to the Lord. And not only are you praying them to the Lord, you're reminding yourself, this is what the Lord has promised. Perhaps I should begin to live like it. Perhaps I should begin to live like he's promised this to the obedient. So then we have to look at our lives and say, why am I being obedient? Okay, well maybe the reason I'm not experiencing the Lord's promise here is is because of this disobedience in my life. Because I'm straying away. Because all I want is the good portion of the Lord. I, I don't want all the Lord. So there are some times when we don't know how to pray. But we always know how to pray when God has made a promise to us. Pray his promise. Pray his word. So when you're having to pray one of those prayers where you're not quite sure what to ask, look into his word and find out what he has said about it. What he will do to those who belong to him. When we pray, Lord, receive me at the end in Jesus' name, we pray that in confidence Because he has promised to do so. When we pray, Lord, sanctify me by your spirit. Your spirit is truth. The word is truth. We pray in confidence because the Lord has said so about his word. And so when we're wrestling with specific circumstances, when we don't know exactly how to pray, alongside those things that we know the Lord has promised, we pray those things This is what we know what to expect here. Lord, I don't know what to expect, but this is what you have promised to those who are in Christ. So I'm just going to cling to those. This is what it says. Lord, your word says this. I will pray it. I will live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like David, who was in a a terrible mess here, everyone had deserted him. He turned to you and he said, Lord, you said, this is what you've promised. And and so often in in our lives, we just look at ourselves and our immediate circumstances and the situation that surrounds us and we forget that you have made promises to those who belong to you. Promises like you will never leave us or forsake us promises like when we take everything to you in prayer then 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 we can give those things to you that you are attentive to them you never are too busy to hear us never unconcerned about even the smallest thing in our lives heavenly father david comes to you and says i need refuge i need vindication save me by the power of your holy name heavenly father your name is holy And you call us to come unto you and lay all that we are before you. And to trust in your word, in your promises, and in your character, and in your precious and holy name. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen.